0: Well, good morning, Journey. If you have your Bibles with you this morning or your phone, open up to the book of Exodus. We're going to be uh, diving into a lot of scripture this morning, so if follow along. I encourage you to do that. You know, the, the life experiences that we go through really shape us, don't they? But, but not just the experiences, but, but the stories that we tell afterwards or the stories that we tell around them can really transform our lives so it's not just the event or the moment but how we interpret it how we share it and over the years those stories can be just as transformative as the event itself now for example one such experience in my own life um, I've told this story for almost for 30 years now of a rather embarrassing time where I challenged my wife Dory to a sprint now, I've got to say, we were young, and I was very foolish to even think about doing that. And Dory, she just crushed me. It was about a 30-yard dash, maybe 20, 30-yard dash. I'm like, come on, let, let's go, let's go, let's race. And all I see is just her pulling away in front of me. And I'm just like, I can't believe she can run this fast. And it was like me going in slow motion and Dory just leaving me in the dust. That experience, but the story I tell around it has transformed me because every time I tell that story, I'm reminded never to challenge Dory in a foot race ever again. And not in 30 years have I done so. Now, arm wrestling, yes, but foot race, never. Now, another experience that shaped me and the story that I tell around it is this time where I was cleaning out the window sill of the fall leaves that had gathered there. Now, as I was cleaning it out, I'm, I'm on my knees and I'm pulling out the last bundle of leaves. And about that time, Dory says, you know, you, sh- you should probably be wearing gloves for that. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I'll be fine. Pull up the last bunch of leaves and below it and underneath it is this ball of snakes. And the snakes just start to slither away. And I have this, this dislike for snakes, right? So I see them slithering away. I screamed like a girl. I jumped. And Dora used her speed and skill that day to come to my rescue and start to dispatch all of these snakes. And telling that story just reaffirms to me that snakes are just evil. There's just nothing good about it. And I tell that story just to remind myself that next time I'm cleaning leaves out of a window well, I'm wearing gloves because my wife re- rem- reminded me. And then there was another experience and a story that goes with it that I'm not so proud of, but there was <laughs> it was the time that I went out for a cheeseburger. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but I went out for a cheeseburger while my wife was in the hospital in labor with our first child. (laughs) I know I'm not proud of it, but, you know, this is going on and on. I'm thinking, gosh, I'm I'm getting hungry. (laughs) And like, Dory, you don't mind if I go out for a cheeseburger? And she gave me the look of doom and, you know, and, you know, like I said, it's not something I'm proud of, and I tell. And that's one story that she won't let me forget over the years. And like I said, I was, I was young and very foolish or just really stupid to go out for a cheeseburger while your wife was in labor. So guys, just kind of file that back in the back of your mind, don't do what I did. Well, events shape us, don't they? And then the stories we tell remind us of those events, and, and, the, and they, those stories help us interpret those events. Now, for you, your stories and experiences are probably different. Maybe you tell a story of how you made a move, maybe a career move or a physical move maybe you retell the story over the years of the romantic way that your husband proposed to you and you'd love to retell it and as it rekindles your love for one another or maybe you you tell the story of, of how you know your first experience walking on campus in your first day and what it was like to move from your small town to go to school at wayne state you know, or maybe you, you tell a little more positive story of, of the birth of your first child. But we all have those stories, don't we? And over the years, as we tell them, it, it, it shapes our past, it shapes who we are today. Well, for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, there was a key defining event and a story that was told for generations and generations afterward that really shaped who they were. And that event was their liberation from Egypt. 400 and plus years of slavery has come, come to an end. They are liberated, they are free, and they, as they depart Egypt, there's this thing the Bible calls the Exodus, their departure to freedom. Now that event is retold through a worship festival, through a religious festival called the Passover. And every year the Jews would would sit down, to celebrate this meal that they would have to recount and retell that story over and over because that event defined who they were as a nation. You know, today we're continuing our series through the book of Exodus and highlighting parts of Exodus, and we're calling it Out of Darkness because it it pulls us from from the darkness of our past to the light that Jesus brings. And last week, Justin uh, did a great job kind of laying out the different plagues that we read about. And those, each one of those plagues in the early parts of Exodus revealed God's power over the lesser gods that Egypt had elevated and worship. And they, they had like 80 different deities, these lesser gods that, that encompassed their life. And they all clustered around these natural forces of the Nile River, their creation, their interpretation of land and sky. And each one of those plagues that God sent would just kind of check off as irrelevant these, these lesser gods of Egypt. And with each plague, God revealed himself as the one true God to worship. John MacArthur writes about the plagues. He says, God is about to absolutely destroy the nation of Egypt. He will destroy the nation economically. He will destroy the nation politically. He will destroy the nation socially. He will destroy the nation in a marital and in a family way. He will destroy that nation in terms of their reputation in the world. He will utterly destroy them religiously. He, and a series of plagues that come on the nation of Egypt, literally obliterates the power of Egypt in a massive demonstration of his divine power. Basically, nothing is left of Egypt after God shows his power and his might. So today we come to the tenth and final plague, that God brings upon the nation of Egypt, and it's the death of the firstborn. Now, all those other plagues really set the stage. As as plagues one through nine develop, uh, Pharaoh's heart becomes harder and harder, and ultimately God hardens his heart and just allows Pharaoh to carry out the plans that he desired from the very beginning. So it's hardened beyond repair. All the peace talks have broken down, and now the death of the firstborn is about to happen. So in chapter 11 of Exodus, it says this in verse 9. The Lord had said to Moses, Pharaoh will, will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. And moses and aaron performed all these wonders before pharaoh but the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and he would not let the israelites go out of his country (laughs) so that's the stage that's been set it's about to go down but before the actual death of the firstborn comes there's this religious interlude there's this religious observant called the passover so Plagues one through nine happen. There's the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. There's the prediction, the declaration that the final and tenth plague is coming. But before it happens, they pause for this worship event. And then death does come and enters the household and takes the life of the firstborn. And for Israel then, that meant their departure, their exodus, they leave Egypt. And through it all, God wanted the people to know that he alone is God and there is no other. So here's how God puts it in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So reading chapter 11 and 12 of Exodus, you know, we see God just demonstrate who he is in a powerful way. That he is that he alone rules over creation he rules over life and death that he is sovereign he is a jealous god meaning that he does not share his glory or will share worship with any other created thing and that he will punish people according to their sins but we also see that our god is a god of mercy as well and this interlude that is called the passover really helps frame and shape the exodus itself. And and he can't understand the exodus without this this, uh, worship event of the Passover. So chapter 12 opens up with God really just uh, kind of reorienting their whole calendar system. Verse 1 of chapter 12 says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month will be for you the first month the first month of your year. So he's taken the calendar months and he's shifting everything. It's like from here on out, your life is going to start new. Everything starts new with this event. And then he goes on to say that it's not just about a calendar shifting, about about a date shift, but it also involves a lamb for your family. He says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, On this first month now, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Well, then each family keeps that lamb for days. And over time, you know, if you're going to care for a lamb, you you get to know it, You, you are caring for it, you're providing for it and if you have kids in your household they probably like hanging around a little lamb then in verse 6 of chapter 12 it says this take care of them that the lamb until the 14th day of the month when all of the members of the community of israel must slaughter them slaughter the lamb at twilight at the end of the day then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And then God declares what he's going to do a few verses later in verse 12 of Exodus 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both animals and people, and I will will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord the blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are and when i see the blood i will pass over you and that's where the name comes of the passover i will pass over you and no destructive plague will touch you when i strike egypt and then god goes on to describe a little further into detail what you are to do with this blood he says take a bunch of hyssop which is a plant dip it in the blood of the lamb in this basin and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frames. And then he says, none of you shall go out of your doors until morning, because when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see this blood on the tops and sides of the door frames, and he will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Notice that this this lamb, this sacrificial lamb and the blood that it was shed keeps death away and makes freedom possible. It makes possible this exodus that's about to happen. And then God, God drives it home and just saying how important this night is in verse 14 of Exodus 12. This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. A lasting ordinance. So, why the blood? Why slaughter a lamb and why put it on the door frames? You know, the point of that is, is that Israel deserved the judgment of death just like the Egyptians. Israelites had to put the blood on, on the doorpost precisely because they were as guilty as those Egyptians. And they needed a substitute to die in their place if they were to avoid the judgment of death. Now, if this were just a story of political liberation, of just physical liberation, then Israel would be the innocent victims. And they wouldn't need to fear judgment. But like us, they were sinners deserving judgment and death. So the blood on the door frames, it it was not because God couldn't tell who lived where and couldn't distinguish between the Israelites and the Egyptians. No, the blood was there because he can. He knows that there's sinners inside, and he knows what's inside our hearts as well. You know what? We still need the blood of Jesus on the door frames of our hearts, on the doorframes of our lives. So with all that taking place, with all that instruction about what to do with the lamb, about how to spread the blood on the doorframes, on the top and the sides, then the tenth and final plague is carried out. In verse 29 of Exodus 12, it says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. You know, you read Exodus chapter 12 and you read those verses and there's just not not a whole lot of feel-good, warm, fuzzy stuff in there, is it? It's not like something you read to pump yourself up if, you, if you've had a bad day, you know. And I've, I wrestled with that text this week because there's just a lot of blood. There's a lot of death, you know. It would be a lot cleaner and easier just to skip over those chapters and get right to the part where, where they leave Egypt and the, the Red Sea parts and the Pharaoh's army is conquered. I mean, that's the cool stuff. And after all, we can, we can look at that and think, well, that just happened a long time ago. And it's kind of a sad tale about a lot of people being killed and the strange worship practice that involved killing a lamb and death and splattered blood. And it's not something that we go to to read when you're having a bad day. So what does all that mean for us today as Jesus followers? Well, through it, we see, one, the power of God. And that's probably the clear, easy takeaway from Exodus 11 and 12. That in his mighty judgment of Egypt, God signaled that he is the real king. That he is the real God on the throne. That Yahweh was to be feared, not Pharaoh. And the only true Lord is himself as the righteous judge. And he wanted to make that known beyond a shadow of a doubt. So we see the power of god but in the exodus we also see the mercy of god and that mercy is seen through the death of another and here in exodus 12 is it's the death of a lamb and the life that's received in the death of that lamb and in that mercy that god gives they find freedom freedom that god brings and and god says i'm going to lead you out of egypt i'm going to set you free so that you might worship me and that mercy is given but blood was required up until the time of jesus until another lamb was necessary you see the lamb changes everything doesn't it The Lamb changed it for the nation of Israel, and the Passover is the sign of the greater act of redemption that was to come. And this is a defining moment for the nation of Israel, like I said at the beginning, but it becomes our defining moment as well because it lays the foundation for the gospel and the mission of the Messiah and why the Messiah had to come in the first place. Because you know, some thousand years later, With this unfinished business still at hand, God sends his Messiah to the earth. And the last Old Testament prophet is this guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is doing his prophet thing, and one day he sees Jesus the Messiah coming towards him. And John proclaims in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he proclaimed that, everybody there that day would have known exactly what John was referring to. They would have known that hey, that this prophet is saying Jesus is the Passover lamb. And they would have thought back to their, to their Exodus days, to the history and to the stories that they tell around the Passover celebration. And you can't underestimate the power of John's statement when he says, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because the lamb, that lamb, Jesus, changes everything for us. Now the Jewish people, they kept the Passover year after year after year after year until one night there came a very special and different Passover like no other that had ever been seen. Because on that night, Jesus had gathered together with his disciples in an upper room. And they gathered together because Jesus wanted to celebrate the Passover with them. It was the night before that he would go to the cross and offer up his body as a sacrifice. And before they did that, he said, we're going to celebrate the Passover. It was that time of year where everybody was doing it. And it's that time of year where they got together as a nation to celebrate God's saving power, to remember, you know, what happened back in the Exodus. But in the middle of their Passover celebration with Jesus and his disciples, Jesus does an amazing thing. Because just as as they were ready to look backward to Egypt as this great evidence of God's saving power, Jesus transforms the Passover into something completely different and brand new listen to how it plays out this is from luke chapter 22 luke 22 starting in verse 7 so then came the day of unleavened bread on which the passover lamb had to be sacrificed and jesus sent peter and john he said go make preparations for us to eat the passover then in verse 14 when the hour came jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then in verse 17, Jesus says, After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes there's this anticipation building it's like yes it's pointing to a different kingdom it's pointing to a different era pointing to a different kind of rain that's about to come and then in verse 19 it says and he took the bread jesus took the bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body do this in remembrance of me In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, did did Jesus say, do this Passover, do this in remembrance of Egypt? No, he said, do it in remembrance of me. So Jesus literally transformed this Passover celebration into something new and something Christians then would refer to from then on out as the Lord's Supper. And he he is the lamb who provided this total, ultimate protection from God's judgment. Christ is the lamb of God who died in our place, in other words. His blood is poured out on our hearts, the door frames of our hearts, And when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus on us as believers. And as Passover shaped the identity of the Israelites, so the Lord's Supper shapes our identity as Christians. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we remember the story of the cross, we remember his life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, and that becomes our story that we celebrate. It becomes our identity of who we are in Christ, and it becomes our living reality that that the blood of Jesus covers our sins. So what Christ has done on the cross, what the gospel writers refer to and tie to as the Passover, impacts how we live. You see, the Lamb of God changes things for our life as well. The Lamb of God brings freedom. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up this morning. And and as I do, let me ask you this question. What chains are holding you down? What chains of sin are, are oppressing you and keeping hold on you? What sin fills the dark corners of your heart? Are you dealing with addictions? Adultery? Greed? Is bitterness filling your heart? Is anger there? Is pride consuming you? Because back in the history of Israel, the the night that the Exodus took place, it solidified them for them that there is only one true God, Yahweh, and that He is the one to follow. And He brought them out of Egypt, because he wanted them to worship him and him alone well Jesus as our Passover lamb leads us to the question who is our God who is your God and each of us needs to answer that question today who do we worship with our lives and in our lives you know just a few moments as we close our service we're going to celebrate this meal that we call the Lord's Supper and in it we are reminded of the freedom that we have in Christ freedom that's possible because of the blood that he shed as the Lamb of God through Jesus we can be liberated from sin so let Jesus free you of that today will you pray with me Father? thank you for the story of the Exodus but more so Lord I thank you that it points us to Jesus it points us to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world so father may we turn our hearts to you today may our our worship of you be be there because of Jesus So, Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you bring, uh, freedom from sin. We thank you for the relationship that you make possible, the worship that we can give you because Jesus shed his blood in our place. So, Lord, we look to you today as we continue to worship. In your name we pray.